0: Weeks that I have not been up here, so I've got to relearn what I'm doing, preaching from the pulpit again. And uh, it's funny, you know, I, I stand back there during worship and I kind of sing by myself a little bit, and then uh, I kind of see the seats slowly filling, and I thought, man, it's three reasons why the church body is light this morning. Uh, and One is it's summertime, which is pretty normal. People are camping or on the river, or, you know, doing whatever. Uh, the, the second one is they heard I was coming back to preach today. And so I'm like, well, that's that makes sense. And then the third one is the topic of which I'm preaching on. And that's why people decided not to show up today. And that's okay. They can listen to it online and be convicted in the comfort of their own couch. Um I've reviewed the last four weeks of messages, and uh, Steve and Brian and Justin uh, preached on. Was that the three that preached, if I remember right? Is that accurate? On uh, what's that? And Treas, thanks. Sorry, Treese, Yep. Uh, on uh, forgiveness, fasting, uh, treasure in heaven, and then uh, worthy uh, worry and anxiety were the four subjects that have been preached on uh, in general over the last four weeks. Uh, for those of you that are first time. Today, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the longest recorded sermon of Jesus and His words. And uh, after hearing the last four sermons, I've listened to them either online or I was here, uh, I wanted to go back and preach on every one of those subjects again. And it wasn't because I wanted to uh, fix anything that was said. I enjoyed every message. I got something from every message. It was because if you look in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and those just the latter, the latter part of Matthew 6, there's so much depth in, in that teaching of Jesus that it almost warrants going back and preaching on, another, on that same subject again. Um, but I decided not to. I decided to go uh, and move forward into Matthew chapter 7, which is the subject we're going to be talking about today, which is maybe why people decided not to show up. And it's the concept of judging others. Uh, that's what Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 7. And uh, before we get into the judging others topic, because we've all heard this in Christianity, um, when you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and if you don't want to, if you're not a churchy type person and you're not someone that just gets here every week and you're not super interested in it, just take a little pocket Bible or get an app, and just read the words of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it just the application of the lessons from Jesus. They all boil down to basically one subject. And it's, where's your heart? It's a heart topic. Every every subject in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a heart topic. And this morning, looking at Matthew 7, Jesus says, uh, judge not, and we're just going to read the first Five verses Matthew 7 1 through 5 I'm not even going to get into do not cast your pearls before swine or the give to dogs what is sacred or holy we're going to look at Matthew 7 1 through 5 it says judge not that you not uh, be judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, anybody that's ever verbally claimed Christianity or have had religious conversations with people or have paid attention at all when it comes to the divine nature of God, and the secular world. They've heard the saying or something along the lines of well, you're not to judge. Christians aren't supposed to judge. It's not within their realm of expertise. It's not within their, their role as a human being is to judge other people. Have you heard something along that line? I, I have. I don't think I'm, I mean, I hear, I see a lot of uh, heads nodding up and down, but I, I've heard that, that we're not supposed to judge. And You know, an example is if you know you see two men walking down the aisle, or you see a video of two women exchanging vows on the courthouse in California or Colorado or wherever, and someone will make a comment like, you know, that's just not right. That's not how God intended it. And somebody in the secular realm will say, Well, who are you to judge? Is that making sense? Like we make a statement on something, we we see something that for whatever reason doesn't resonate with us in our hearts. And we say, that's wrong or that's not right. And then somebody from the other side, if you will, will say, well, who are you to judge? That's not your job. So this morning, I want to look at this concept of judgment in the Bible. Anybody that knows me at all just a little bit and heard me preach knows that I believe what the scriptures teach. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a small man, you know, Forrest Gump. I believe what the scriptures teach. I can follow the Scriptures fairly well. I can look at them, I can study them, I can read them, and I can go, oh, this is what Jesus is saying. Or, this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said this by looking at things in context. So, for me to get outside of the Word of God, I start using my own mentality, my own brain, my own experience, and oftentimes, when you do that, it leads you away from truth. Because we all have experiences, we all have an upbringing, we all have friends and family that are different than each other's, and so if we base our understanding and our knowledge on our own understanding and our knowledge, we're we're doing a disservice to ourselves as Christians. So I want to look at what the Word of God says as far as judgment goes. It may surprise you, it may not. I don't know. Let's find out. So, in order to get to the, the, the... idea of what Jesus is talking in Matthew 7 or just the overall idea of judgment or judging others, we've got to go back to the basic word judge. What does it mean to judge? And in, in the, the modern day, I don't know if it's from the Websters or whatever, it says it's to form an opinion or conclusion about something or someone. To, to form an opinion or a conclusion about someone or something or situation. That's You're making a judgment call. You're judging based on what you're seeing. In the Hebrew, the word means to pronounce a sentence for or against, to punish, or to vindicate. They made a judgment call, you're guilty, you're innocent. God will judge. And then, and it also talks about uh, the Israelites judging their neighbor. We'll look at that later. In the Greek, the word means to decide mentally or judicially, to try, to condemn, to punish, to call into question. That is what the word literally means in the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the modern day. It's to, it basically boils down to, to form an opinion on something. I see something and I go, that's right or that's wrong. Okay? So, I've got to ask a couple of questions. When is judgment, when is judging others considered wrong? Well, we've seen the first one in Matthew 7. He says very clearly, judge not, that you not be judged. Don't judge other people okay, uh, so that you're not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck at your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. So it seems like Jesus is, is referencing this idea of judgment on other people, and hypocrisy kind of seems to filter in to his teaching. Like you're judging other people. You've got this little tiny speck of sawdust in your eye, and he he goes to the extreme and says, but you who who are saying to someone who has a speck in their eye have an entire log sticking out of your eye. And so he's calling them hypocrites when he's saying, when you do this, you are a hypocrite. You're an actor. You come from the Greek word Hippocrates, where you are a play actor with the wood mask on your face, where you're saying you're one thing, but you're actually another when you remove the mask. You hypocrite. So that is one area which we are going to go back and look at more in depth later. But that is one area in the New Testament, in the teaching of Jesus, where judgment is condemned. Where he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged with the same measure. And the second one that we're going to look at is in Romans chapter 14. Now in our men's study, we are... Are we still going through the book of Romans? I've been playing hooky for a little while. Are we in Romans 15 now, I think, Dave told me this week? Yeah. So in Romans 14, there is this this passage that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to the church at Rome, and he said, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Another word for that, opinions, is disputable matters. Matters of dispute. Matters of, they're not, Salvation issues. They're not biblical issues. It's not that big a deal. Leave the guy, leave the woman alone. Don't do it. And he says, As for the one whose faith is weak, welcome that person in. Don't quarrel over disputable matters or opinions. And then he uses the example of one person's faith allows them to eat anything they want, and another person's faith only allows them to eat certain food items. And he said, Don't condemn the one that eats everything and don't judge the one that eats nothing. Leave leave them alone. Let them be convinced in their own mind what they're doing. Don't judge them. And he says, you consider one day more sacred than another day and that he considers all these days sacred, leave them alone. (laughs) Don't, Don't judge them. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another While another person esteems all day alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue bow shall confess, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So he's saying, do not judge someone on matters of opinion, okay? So, when is judgment wrong on disputable matters and in hypocrisy? So far. Here's another example of when judgment is wrong. In the book of James, chapter 2, this verse will come up later in the Sermon as well, but in James chapter two, there's a story told, or there's an example told of uh, of somebody that's that's coming into the church, and it's James chapter two verses one through four, and it says, "My brothers, show no." You got to keep in mind when I read Romans fourteen, the book of Romans, it's written to Christians in Rome, it's written to all of the saints in Rome, it's written to Christians. Okay, Jesus is talking to, hey, you're my disciples, let me teach you how to live. James is written to the seven, or to the churches scattered throughout everywhere. So he's writing, is that, is that, that believe so, yeah, to the servant of God, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. So the twelve tribes of Israel, these people are Christians now, they're followers of Jesus, he's writing them of how to live certain ways and what to do. So in James chapter 2, he says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor, you stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So he's telling them, you, you guys are doing harm here because somebody walks into your church fellowship and they're wearing something and you look at them on the outside and you're like, wow, they look very Christian. <laughs> they look very they look like they could give a lot. Let's treat them a little nicer. Let's, let's show partiality to them. Let's make them feel warm and welcome. And then somebody else walks in and they look like they just got back sleeping behind the church building here and they woke up and they come in they look homeless and hungry and shabby and you go, oh, sit at my feet. He says, you have become judges with evil thoughts. So this is a third way that condemnation to judging others is shown in the scriptures. Years ago, this isn't in my notes, but I gotta tell a story. Like 15 years ago, I was at this church and my wife and I sat down and there's this older couple that were dressed like you're supposed to be dressed. You're supposed to be dressed at church. The guy had a nice shirt on. He had a tie. He had nice slacks and shoes. And his wife was dressed to the nines. And she had a very nice dress on. And might even had a bond in her hair. I don't know. But she was. She they were church folk. You could tell. And my wife and I were new Christians. And we sat down in the row behind them. And when they turned around during the meet and greet thing, it was like, "Hey, how are you doing? Nice to meet you, and all that stuff." And then right as the song started to come in, this couple walked in. It was a Spanish couple. And the guy had tattoos up to his neck. He had tattoos all over his arm. I mean, he looked like like I pictured Donaldo looking if he had tattoos all over like, don't make this guy mad or he'll punch you and you're down. He looked like a brawler and he walked in and I've known, I mean I've had friends with tats everywhere, Kyle leading our worship or worship guys, cats everywhere. I mean, he just didn't look like the traditional church person. So this couple walked in and they were real friendly and we said, hey, nice to meet you all and in between songs, and they introduced themselves. And I noticed the man like tapped his wife and there was this look of like disgust on his face. As, as, they, as they walked in. And I, was so, I remember how livid I was because I could read into the guy's soul by the way he was looking at a person and judging purely based on exterior appearances. And I, and I was a new enough Christian where I had read James chapter 2 and, and I, I couldn't go exactly to where it was but I remember reading going, that's not right. That didn't feel right. My spirit inside said, that's not okay. So we've looked at three ways that God condemns judging other people, based on outward appearances, based on hypocrisy. But the question that you've got to ask, and I had to ask, is, is judging ever okay? Is it ever required of us? The Bible says, do not judge, lest ye be judged. But does it ever tell us to judge? When is it right to judge if it is? There's a story, the reason I love the Bible so much is it, it, when I first opened it up, it's like the first time I opened up a set of blueprints and I looked at them and I'm like, I, I can never figure this out. This is crazy. You've got a box over here and I don't know what all these 6080 mean. I don't understand this stuff. And as you finally start breaking down and going into the, the nitty gritty of it, you start seeing the bigger picture. And the reason I love the Bible is that if you can just understand that like the book of Corinthians is a letter written to a church at Corinth. That's all it was. He's like, hey, I want to address some issues here. I've heard this is going on. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, the story, and and you can read the story later, you can read it now, or I'm just going to kind of summarize the story. There's this guy who has a sexually immoral relationship with his stepmom, presumably his ex-stepmom. You know, that would be even worse, if it could be worse. So he has this relationship, this physical relationship with his stepmom. And the church doesn't do anything about it. They're like, they're they're applauding it at some point, because the Corinthian church was very tied up into a lot of the Greek pagan sex-worshiping stuff. And so as Christians began to come to Christ, as these Gentiles began to come to Christ, there was still some of this outlying sin that was still in their lives. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes a letter to them, and he says, we need to address this issue. And he says, let me go to it. It is actually reported among you, let me get to it here, or it is reported among you, it is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that not even tolerated by pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? Not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He's writing to Christians at the church at Corinth. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit as if present I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The whole idea of excommunication is another subject altogether, but this is what it's dealing with. This man had did something extremely immoral. The church knows about it. They don't do anything about it. And they just keep on going with life like it's no big deal. Paul writes and says, you need to expel this person, get them away from the church, get them out of here, so that on the day of judgment he may be saved, so he can repent. And then he goes on to say, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin in this church will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow, and I'm going to give you an example in a little bit of that exact thing that's happening at my brother's church in Nebraska. Now, He says, I wrote you in verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, aren't we just the exclusive members only group? Right? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Don't associate with with any sexually immoral person. Just stay away from them completely. Surround yourself with only people that are perfect like you. But Paul continues, and he says... Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. idolatrous, since then you would need to go out of the world. I'm not talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about the hypocrite inside the church. He says, but now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexually immorality or greed Or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler not to even eat with such a one? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So, no English scholar could change what this is saying. You can do all the... Fancy magic you want with Paul's letters, but Paul is saying this. If somebody is a Christian, and they say, I am a Christian, and they are doing what they are doing here, it is your job as a church to warn them, take a brother, take two, take it before the church, and if they won't repent, Matthew 16 and 18, cast them away so that they can repent and be saved on the day of the Lord. I know that's an unpopular thing in today's church-going days, because people would say, you're a hypocrite, you're judgmental, I'm going to go to the church down the road that'll tell me what my itching ears want to hear. But that's not what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. We're either going to accept the Bible as the divine inspired word of God, or we're not. It's one of the two. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, I'm going to pick and choose what I think is okay, but I'm not going to accept certain things because it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. So, Paul, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God, says that judge for yourselves if it is right or wrong. If it is wrong, warn him. What happened to the speck of dust in the plank? We'll get to that. So, that's one example of when judgment is right when it comes to biblical matters. We see it in Acts 15. The the, the leaders of the early church, they were being told, hey, if the Gentiles want to become Christians, they have to obey the entire law of Moses, and they have to be circumcised, physically circumcised, in accordance with the law of Moses. They made a judgment call that that's no longer what was required of Gentiles entering into Christianity. And if you look at Acts 15, towards the end of that story, when they gave their testimony, Peter said, or I'm sorry, James said, therefore... My judgment, so they go through the whole rigmarole of everything that's been said about the Jews and the Gentiles, and this is what was taught, and this is what God said is okay, what's not okay, and we don't have to require the Gentiles be circumcised according to the flesh. And then James, the Lord's brother, says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but they should uh, write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. He gives them five, four things that they have to remove themselves from, and from in order to be Christians. So, again, a judgment was required in order for them to understand what was okay and what was not okay according to God. Another passage is in 2 Thessalonians. We see this. Uh, a brother asked me about this not too long ago, and he says, hey, do you think I'm required uh, to work and, and do my best to support my family? And I said, well, let's see what the Bible says. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, we command you... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you and ourselves an example uh, to imitate For even when we are with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So, there's a judgment call whether or not somebody is idle or not. Now keep in mind, very important, 2 Thessalonians says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in 1 Corinthians 5, he says it is not my job to judge those outside the church. In the church body, we are called example after example. That's one in Thessalonians, Matthew 18, talks about if a brother sins against you, you've got to go to them and say, hey, Ryan, you sinned against me. And you'd, knowing Ryan, he'd say, man, I'm sorry, what did I do? And I would tell him, he's like, Nate, I had a bad day, I apologize. But if he were to say, you know what, Nate, you're an idiot, forget you. I stand by what I did. And I go, hey, uh, let's see, Therese, you're big. We talked to Ryan with me. And then he's like, Well, I'll take both of you on. I'm crazy. I'm not going to repent. Then you take it before the church. There's a judgment call that comes with making a discernment on something is right or wrong within the church. Is that making sense? Like we we gotta be careful not to get so ecumenical where we don't follow the word of God. Following the Word of God is, it is not my job to judge those outside the church. It is my biblical responsibility to judge those inside the church. But when I do, I better be able to look in the mirror make sure that I'm clean. Better make sure I don't have a a, a plank in my eye before I go to Ryan and say, Ryan, I saw you uh, California stop through that stop sign, buddy, you know, I know I just did a hit and run and killed six people, but what you did was wrong. Uh, Who doesn't? It's not a sin if you don't get caught. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So, I talked about this qualification, you know, like, uh, I mentioned elder, we have one elder here at our church body, for those of you who don't know, it's Steve Wood, And when he and I met together to discuss eldership, we went through the qualifications of an elder very, very, very specifically. And one of the passages that I was encouraged the most about uh, in regards to him being qualified as an elder was because every time we would talk about something, he would go to the Word. His response and his answer, I'm not puffing him up, I'm just telling you, this is what encouraged me, is that he would go to the Word of God and say, this is why I believe what I believe, and was able to back it up in context with Scripture. And one of the qualifications of an elder, it says here in Titus chapter 2, it says, for an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers. They are not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. And it goes on to say, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as it has been taught, and then it says, so that He may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. An elder must have the discernment and the judgment to be able to look at something and juxtapose it with Scripture to find out if what he is saying is true. That is a judgment call oftentimes. To be able to look and understand and discern that things are written and spoken and understood in context. And when we fall away from that, when this church body, if this church body, God forbid, ever falls away from that, the end of that is destruction, it's division, it's chasm, it's fighting, it's backbiting. I promise you that's exactly what What happens when you go away from judging things according to the Word of God? When you use your own ecumenical belief system and your own emotion? When you do that, it causes nothing but division. And I've been a part of it. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've experienced it. And my one of my best friends is going through that right now. He's in this church of two, three, four hundred people, and they need a new preacher. He called me a year ago, and he's like, hey, uh, what do you think about Nebraska? I said, I think it's flat, and I need the Rocky Mountains. I'd love to go fish the plat, but I need to climb hills. So he's a part of this church body. They're looking for a preacher, and the search committee, they they developed a search committee and said, hey, we're going to interview all these preachers. We have this list of questions that we want you to answer. So we know when we talk to this preacher that's coming in if he's going to be a good fit for this church. Said no problem. Send the list. Uh, send the list. There's 11 questions on this list. I'm going to read five of them. Is homosexuality a sin? Is a homosexual relationship, marriage slash marriage, rebellion towards God? Is changing one's gender rebellion towards God? Define salvation. Is hell a literal place Define baptism? There were seven more questions, all very, in my opinion, easily biblically explained. Go into the book chapter verse and say, this is what I believe about this subject and this subject and this subject. Two of the three elders refuse to answer these questions. They won't do it. Because personal experience of family members and past would condemn them being qualified to be an elder in the church. So now, today, we're going to pray about it later, today, the committee's going to get together, they're going to talk about it, and my brother Matt's got all 11 questions, it's five pages long, and he sent it to me, and I read it, I'm like, can't disagree with a single point you made. Book, chapter, verse, brother, good job. But the other two refused to answer the questions. So today is what I feel is going to be the very beginning. You get old stuff here, brother? The beginning of a division that's going to happen in a church body over what I feel are pretty basic, simple questions to answer. They're pretty simple. They're, they're pretty right down the line, book, chapter, verse. Matt's job, when he signed up, when they asked him to be an elder three years ago, and I, I went right to that Titus chapter two passage. I said, brother, you're a good man. You're a godly man. I know you love the word. Your children are obedient. Your wife's a good godly woman. If you're going to accept this role, You better be able to refute those who oppose sound doctrine. And that's where the role of an elder is going to be the most difficult for you. Meeting all of these things, yeah, it's not easy. But you can do it. You've done it. But to be able to discern and judge truth from fiction when it comes to Scripture and to be able to book chapter, verse, and argue against it, that's going to be tough. I believe you can do it, but you better get in the Word. So he accepted the role, and now he's having to go through the battle, man. I mean, he's in in the middle of the fire right now. And I told him, God will, God will bless your efforts, speak the truth in love, always go to the Word, and always go to the Word and speak the truth in love. People, will they'll do to themselves what they're going to do because they don't love the Word. So, all that to say, judgment within the church, God requires it. God calls for it. But I cannot say enough, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I've never considered that group of people that hold up those signs that says God hates this and they're going to hell. I've never considered them, maybe this is going to offend some of you, but I'm sorry, I don't care. I've never considered them my brothers and sisters in Christ because what they're doing is anti-biblical. Jesus never did that. He never had a sign. That's What he said was, repent, repent. You must come to me. You must follow me. And what is included in that is going to be a laundry list of things we all need to continue to work on. But he never said, I hate you, I hate this. The people that he condemned the most were the hypocrites, which goes right back to Matthew chapter 7, when he says, who are you to judge someone when you've got a plank in your eye? Take care of your own business before you start going to people and saying, Ryan, you rolled through the stop sign. Take care of your own house. Clean your own house up. And when you do that, you can see clearly to say, "Brother, kids on bikes, man." I, I stopped doing it because I hit a guy on a bike on uh, Cindy Ann and Twenty an Orchard. True, I did Cindy Ann and Orchard. I rolled through it. He hit the side of my truck, and I was on the phone with Home Depot. And I said, "Dude, I got to call you back. I just hit a guy on a bike." I got out. I'm like, "You okay?" He's like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm good." All right, well, I'll see you later. All right, I need 76 sheets of half inch (laughs) OSP. So I cleaned up that. I don't stop, I don't roll through those anymore because I know the danger of it, brother. I don't want you to end up hitting somebody because I care about you and I care about your family and I don't want you to end up in jail. That's the whole point of why we do what we do is to help each other get our hearts fixed. So when we stand before the day of judgment for God, He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And he doesn't say, I never knew you, you hypocrite. That's the point of Matthew chapter 7. We cannot go on condemning our fellow man for every slight infraction when deep in our hearts we've got all this stuff going on. And when you look at Matthew 7 and you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's 100% about where is your heart? Where is my heart? Where is your heart? Where is our heart? As it pertains to serving the King and glorifying God with our lives. So, do I think we're to judge biblically? Absolutely. 100%. If you say, I don't think so, then you weren't listening to the sermon. Take the sheet that I gave you with the verses and reread them. Because, yes, we are called to judge, and we are called to not judge. Clean your house up before you start getting crazy with other people. The one thing that Jesus seems to condemn pretty aggressively is hypocrisy. More than anything else, he condemns that. Matthew chapter 23, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. He tells them, woe is you, woe is you, you hypocrites. He challenges them, condemns them in Matthew 23 for the way they treat people. When I, when I, I'm going to, I'm done in about three minutes here, uh, Brian and then Emily, but um, when I thought, when I was reading this passage and studying this passage over the last couple of weeks and really thinking about it, uh, I kind of figured this is where we're going to end up, and so I was starting to get into it. I I kept going back to this passage in Luke 18. I kept thinking about the story of the, the rich Pharisee that, was going to come and give a bunch of stuff to God, a bunch of offerings to God. And he comes up to the altar and he says, Dear God, thank you, and I'm paraphrasing, Dear God, thank you so much I'm not like the sinner. I'm not like the tax collector over here. And then you have the tax collector who's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The difference you have is one is prideful, one is humble. That's the difference you have between the two one's full of pride, and look at me, I'm not as bad as that person. And then you have someone that goes before God and says, God, have mercy on me because I'm as bad as it gets. And I need you. I got I need you, Jesus. That's what God is looking for. Therese, that song you played at the end, oh man, brother. Whoo, Legit. That's the spirit and the heart that we're supposed to approach the king of kings with. Like, you are everything. You're it. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I am, I'm clean. I'm, I'm going to come to the altar, God. I'm coming to you. And that's what that sinner was doing. Is he was coming to the altar and saying, arms are open. I'm, I'm messed up. If you're not messed up, if there's not something in you That needs recalibrated. Go ask people that really love you and care about you. They'll tell you what needs recalibrated. There's all, there's every one of us. Every one of us has something we need to get closer to God on. We need to adjust. Some more than others. I'm not looking at you intentionally, Ryan. That's what you get for sitting in the front row. They've been sitting in the front row for like 12 years. So I made a comment one time 12 years ago at another church and they start sitting in the front row. Love it. And Rick. All right. Love you guys. Uh, would you pray with me for Matt uh, and, and the Spirit of God to work in his his meeting today? And, and then Brian, you'll prepare our hearts for communion. And then after communion's done, who? Uh... Emily, we'd love looking forward to hearing about the presentation. So, bow with me. Father, thank you so much for your written word. Uh, Without it, we would just be uh, guessing and how you want us to act, how you want us to live, how you want us to love people. Father, I pray that the message this morning uh, was able to pierce the hearts. uh, Do your magic, Father, and your spirit, and just change change what I said and turn it into what needs to be heard Father I pray for Matt this morning in Heartland's church I pray that they uh, seek you I pray that they're devoted to you in time they seek your word and that their ultimate guide and their ultimate authority is the, the gift of the word of God that you have given us to study and understand and what is what is pleasing to you and what is not we are in a strange time, Father, and we call evil good and good evil. And I pray that this church can be the light for those. Pray for the people in this room this morning that, uh, that need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.